Someone asked me when I came in this morning, we hear about Jericho and Joshua. How can we never hear about I? Does anybody know? I couldn't answer him. I just said, well, maybe the explanation of the conquest of I is a little bit beyond trying to figure out where Joshua put the troops and where he was and how they were going. Katie and I spent probably at least a couple hours talking about this this past week. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I would come up with an idea. She'd say, nope. And then I would go back to my study. <laughs> anyway, I was wrestling over this this last week. Even last week, I did a miserable job of presenting the first part of this story, this chapter, chapter 8. And I hope that it inspired you to go home and check out the pastor and try to figure it out for yourself. But I hope that what I share this morning is going to be life and understanding for us because at 3 o'clock this morning, it was for me. I don't want to spoil the message, so let's just dive in and see if we can develop this. Father, bless us now as we open your word. We're talking about finding rest, and that is an oxymoron in the book of Joshua because the book of Joshua is not about rest. It's about war. It's about conquest. It's about listening to the Lord. But there's a secret, and I think this morning at 3 o'clock, I hit on the secret. Let me share. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. And I think we know what that another day is. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort, every conquest to enter that rest so that no one fall by following the same pattern of disobedience. And there are many stories in the Bible of disobedience and many of them in the book of Joshua. The conquest of I, we tried feebly last week to cover A and B, and those of you who were here, hope you will pick up on this as we just read through this part of the scripture and then go on to C and D, but particularly point C, the Lord's plan. Now the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. Do not fear or be dismayed. Are those equal words, fear and dismay? Not really equal, but one works off the other. They both work off each other. You're dismayed because your child hasn't been home from school yet. I wonder what happened. You fear because you said something that was not kind or generous or was out of step and you get dismayed over it. Yeah, fear and dismay 
work off each other. And I think we can think of a lot of different situations in our life where those two enemies work hand in hand. Do not, the Bible says. In fact, it was the Lord that said to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. Joshua had a lot to be dismayed about, right? They had lost the battle in the first attempt at Ai. And to think, let's just forget about those people and let's move on to our next objective. Let's go on to, say, taking Jerusalem. No. I was right there in their pathway. That was the next city. That was the next fortress. And it was a threat to all the battles that they would fight throughout the promised land. And so fear and dismay have to be taken into account and say, we're going to deal with this. And the Lord says, the Lord says, the Lord God, creator, the giver, the promise keeper, the covenant God says, do not fear and be dismayed. The command is take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, his land. You shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. You shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. This is a key word. This is a strategic word, ambush. And we're going to talk about ambush today and get a deeper understanding of what ambush really means. Joshua commanded them. So Joshua rose up with all the people of war to go up to Ai. But Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. He commanded them saying, see, you are going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people, it's the different I, then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out to meet us at the first, we will flee before them. They will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say, they are fleeing before us as at the first. So we will flee before them. That was the strategy of the ambush. And you shall rise from your ambush and take possession of the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Then it will be when you have seized the city that you will set the city on fire. You shall do it according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them away and they went to the place of ambush and remained between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. Remember his first mistake about Ai? He sent out a couple of spies. They came back and they said, ha, piece of cake. We can take that city with 3,000 men. It's plenty. And so Joshua says, go do it. There was no commander in charge of that. There's no one named. All they were to do was just to go and blow through that town 
and then come back and they'll go on from there. Well, the story didn't end that way. It didn't turn out that way. Why? They had not inquired of God. They had done it on the past success of Jericho. How many of us, how many times have I done that? Stepping ahead of the Lord. Well, the Lord did this. I can do it now. No, you know what? The Christian life is the toughest thing you will ever achieve or experience in your lifetime on this earth. And don't ever entertain the criticism. All Christians, they're wimps. They give in every time. No, that is not true. That's not true of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It may be typical of us, but he says, See, I have commanded you. And you shall rise from your ambush and take possession of the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Then it will be when you have seized the city that you will set the city on fire. You shall do it according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them away, and they went to the place of ambush and remained between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. That's where he should have been in the first place. Okay, let's get into the real nitty-gritty of this ambush. Now Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people. It means to wake up people and say, hey, get up, we got a job to do today. The Lord is with us. And he went up with the elders of Israel to Ai. Then all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near and arrived in front of the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between him and I, and he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and I on the west side of the city. So they stationed the people, all the army that was in the north side of the city and the rear guard on the west side of the city, and Joshua spent that night in the midst of the valley with his people, where he should be, in a strategic place. Okay, here is I. That black dot is I. That is actually called currently El Makatir. And that is the dig that Bible scholars with the Associates for Bible Research, ABR, that I talked about, they have been excavating this side of Makatir and finding it matches with all the criteria of what the Bible says it should be. And this particular site in archaeology by archaeologists who don't believe the Bible have criticized the Bible as being folktale and full of error. But they have had to kind of eat that in terms of they are beginning to find out that actually this is the exact location of the city of Ai. And the archaeologists who hate the Bible, but the Bible has the best record of archaeology of any book written that we have today. And they've thrown it out, those that don't believe that account, but now they're having to eat their words and are coming back and saying, well, it's easy to make mistakes like this. 
Well, yeah, it is when you're digging through things that are 3,000 years old. But nonetheless, it's proving that the Bible has validity. But we don't count our faith on whether archaeologists believe it or not. It's by faith that we receive the word. And so we need to believe it not for what we can figure out, but we ask the Lord, which Joshua failed to do when he tried to send his people off on the first attempt at Ai. We need to listen to the Lord. We need to be able to put our fears down, put away our dismay, and be obedient to the word of what God in his spirit and in his word is saying to us. That's the number one requirement of a victorious Christian, is putting your trust in the word of God. Okay, so we've established that. And as I was telling my brother before the service, why I probably is not understood is because the description is a little bit hard to understand. From what we just read, Joshua said that he would take 25,000 men with him in this route right here to the front. He would take, he would get 5,000 on the backside as an ambush against what they hoped or what God was promising would be a ruse, a trick to draw the people out of this most fortified city with four layers of gates before you could even get into the compound. You had to go through four gates, they've discovered, to get into this fortification. So what they were trying to do is draw the people out of the fortress and he would have this 5,000 men come around from the back between Bethel and Ai. And by the way, it wasn't only a one city conquest, it was a two city conquest. Both Ai and Bethel were involved in their fighting against the troops of Israel. Okay, so here we've got this battle plan. And these guys, these 5,000 went up this route here and came in behind where Joshua was in front and with his men and was baiting them. Come on, come and get us. And the king of Ai woke up in the morning and saw them there. And he thought, oh, these guys won't give up. And it came about when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose up early, went out to meet Israel in battle, he and all his people at the appointed place before the desert plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. And all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. They pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. So not a man was left in Ai or in Bethel who had not gone out after Israel. And they left the city unguarded and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, now this is key for today, and this was my revelation at three o'clock this morning. The Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward I, for I will give it into your hand. Okay, 
I think I said last week or the week before that Joshua was not, was not a shepherd. Didn't I say that? Maybe I just dreamed it. No. <laughs> I'm sure I did. Because that's a very key point. And it's even more key this morning as I was trying to understand what does it mean that Joshua had a javelin but it was not a shepherd's staff. I believe we'll understand this. So Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in ambush rose quickly from their place. And when he had stretched out his hand, they, the ambush, entered the city and captured it. And they quickly set the city on fire. When the men of Ai turned back and looked, Behold, the smoke of the city ascended into the sky, and they had no place to flee this way or that. For the people who had been fleeing to the wilderness turned against the pursuers. Let's go on. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the men in ambush had captured the city, and the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and slew, killed the men of Ai. The others came out from the city to encounter them so that they were trapped in the midst of Israel, some of on this side and some on that side, and they slew them until no one was left of those who survived or escaped. But they took the king of Ai and brought him to Joshua. Okay, here's our real message. This is just background so that you understand what happened here. The army the I army and Bethel soldiers were slaughtered, were killed. John 19, 31 to 37 has some insight into the javelin. Javelin is another word for spear. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate, that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Why? Because they had not died yet. Hanging on a cross was not about bleeding to death. It was about how much strength you have to pull yourself up and take a breath while you're nailed to the cross. And you have a, a foot stand where your feet are nailed there on that platform or the stand on the cross. And so you, trying to breathe. Actually, crucifixion is suffocation. The death hanging on a cross. Other than the fact that if you have given up your spirit into your hands, I commit my spirit, Jesus said. And he breathed his last. That was the Bible record. He submitted to the death on the cross. That's what this is talking about. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified alongside him. Remember, there was three crosses, one on the right, one on the left. And both of them were still alive when Jesus died. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, 
They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. That's what I woke up to this morning at three o'clock. Joshua had a spear. He used it as a command. Attack. Finish the work. Joshua was a warrior. And Jesus died before the spear. But blood and water came out. And what does blood and water mean to us as believers? Next week, we're going to have communion. It speaks of the blood. And it speaks of living water for us, not of blood, but of pure water of the word of God. His truth that feeds us, that quenches our thirst. Jesus gave all that we might live eternally. It was blood and water that came out of his side. His legs were not broken. But get this. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may also believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill Scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. That's in Psalm 34. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. That's a prophecy speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Do you get what we're seeing here? This prophecy, if Jesus' legs had been broken, this prophecy, given thousands of years previous, would not be true. And then we could say, the Bible is not true. Now, why would the soldiers not break? I mean, how do you know that he's not living? But just to prove it, they pierced his belly. What happens when a person dies? When they're completely dead, the heart is not beating. Water and blood begin to separate in the body. And so that was proof he was dead. No need to break his legs. So they just went on. I mean, Roman soldiers in those days, they had a lot of work. They just work, work, work all the time. And they didn't break his legs because there wasn't any need to. They already proved he was dead. Here's another one. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Zechariah 12, 10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on him whom they have and they will mourn. They will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Jesus, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn 
of a new race of people, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, became then for us the way into heaven. Before that, there was no way for us to enter heaven. But by his death and his judgment on the cross for our sins, not his, he was the perfect Lamb of God. He stands on our behalf as witness and testimony that you and I are forgiven our sins completely. And we don't have to beg. We don't have to do penance. We don't have to even come to church. If you're here because you think you're going to become better and better, you've come to the wrong place. This is a place where we all recognize we should have been hanging there on the cross. But Jesus himself, the Lamb of God, took our place. And he was the only one that could do it because he was without sin. Our Savior, our Lord. That's what our salvation means. That's what it means to receive Jesus Christ. I don't lean on my own good works. Yes, I will walk in good works because of his power in his life in me. Now we come to something that may be hard for you to understand, but I hope it's the beginning of where I want to emphasize what it means to really be a Christian. And here it's very simple. In Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Can you grasp the depth of what that statement is? It's not just a motto or a logo or a mysterious saying. It is an actuality. It is something that happens to us because the Word of God is true. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just righteous, right, correct, just for us to have our sins removed from us. Things that we have done in the past, things that we do automatically in our daily lives. But we come to Jesus Christ who has ambushed, ambushed the devil who tried to grab Adam and Eve and humanity and make us tools, servants, slaves of him, slaves of sin. And he's given us freedom from that and allowed us to be part of his eternal life because he was raised from the dead and he made that entrance to heaven for us which until that moment in which he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. And at that point, a way is being made 
in three days. And why we're meeting here on Sunday has a lot to do with in three days he rose from the dead. And we meet on Sunday morning to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the kingpin of Christianity. If you can dispute adequately the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you have defeated Christianity and made it to be a lie. But it is true. It is a proven fact. And not just because the stone was rolled away, or not just because they found some garments. Many times after he was raised from the dead, he walked, he ate with them. He was glorified, and they saw it. They felt it, they touched it, they knew it, and they recorded it for us. And that is our bottom line faith. We have nothing other than that to place our trust in this word. Which, by the way, every part of this book is based on what I've just been saying. And we believe he rose from the dead, victorious, and he made a way for us to become sons and daughters of heaven. That's the gospel. That's what's in our heart and beats. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> the Lord is our living, risen Lord. And then here's something that Kent had as a revelation this morning. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are as grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. And I showed you a picture last week of I with a pile of rocks and these archaeologists, Christian brothers and sisters, sitting on that pile of rocks. But the word of our God will stand forever. I is a pile of rocks somewhere 10 miles north of Jerusalem. Just a pile of rocks. It was a stronghold of the enemy. It's a pile of rocks. And we stand here today to declare that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And he is our shepherd. He is our savior. And he's the one who's coming back to redeem us and to fulfill the redemption that we have as the firstborn from the dead. We also are of the firstborn from the dead. Walk in that newness and that understanding. We are a people that perhaps of all people have such a richness and greatness at our disposal of cashing in, of allowing ourselves to believe and to receive the gift that is given to us. 
I was given to Joshua and to the children of Israel. In the same way, we have salvation given to us, but we stand not in our own righteousness. We stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And it has nothing about, well, this is such a beautiful and lovely group of people that I love to be with. And we've said that many times that we love to be together in this place with you. That's our joy. But you know, there's a greater joy. It's not just us. It's all of those throughout the ages who have trusted and believed Jesus Christ. And we are brothers and sisters with them. If we believe, if we receive. And if you haven't had that experience to believe in Jesus Christ, ask someone here who maybe brought you or you trust to share with you this good news, how you can receive eternal life today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your salvation. Thank you that we have benefited from thousands of years of men and women just like ourselves who have discovered salvation in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And we know that we're not perfect. We're very aware of our sin. But we thank you that you came as the Lamb of God and were our substitute to lay down your life on the cross for all who would believe and receive. And we receive your salvation and we're receiving it as we walk along in our lives. Thank you for the joy of your salvation, that we are free, that we are included, that we belong, that we can stand among the multitude of righteous before the throne of God. Thank you for your redemption. And for this day and for this time that we have together as your children, we rejoice together. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.